Hello and welcome to the Dancer's Circle. My name is Natalie Tace and this is your 10 second call. soul is vibrating high and you know it's time to go into the zone. So today I have the absolute pleasure of having a chat with a beautiful, beautiful young dancer and friend of mine. Her name is Erica McPherson and she is she's a treat so we're going to have a lot of fun today she's a, a beautiful girl she she knows how to stand in her vulnerability she has shown a lot of courage a quite an empowered young young woman uh, and this is all going to come through in her story in our chat today so I, I won't give too much away Erica followed in the footsteps of her two older sisters and started dancing very young she completed full-time dance in 2014 and was offered her first Australian professional contract in 2015, as well as got a taste of some overseas professional work. In 2017, she secured her first international contract with a reputable circus in Germany and has been performing between Sydney and Europe ever since, which sounds like the dream, the dream dance life. I first met Erica years ago before she started on her professional path, probably when she was on her launch pad. And what I saw was this, this beautiful, tall, classic showgirl with an infectious smile, really abounding in potential. A few years later, I would see her again as a young dancer standing completely and firmly in her potential and totally shining. Since then, I've been an observer of her journey and her evolution, often from afar, <laughs> Thank, thankfully for the internet, I've been able to keep in touch with her. And we've had kind of some strange synchronicities going on and, and some kind of uh, crossing of paths per se, more on a, a spiritual way, I would say. So it's, yeah, it's been a really organic and beautiful connection. And like I said, I'm really excited to have Erica with us here today. Hello, Erica. How are you? So, so great. Thank you so much for what a beautiful introduction. I had no idea you planned that all out. <laughs> And I'm just <laughs> over the moon to hear such beautiful words spoken about me when, you know, in this industry, we we're our harshest critic and sometimes it's nice to have somebody speak so beautifully. So thank you, Nat. I'm just already like glowing from that. <laughs> <laughs> They're true words, my love, true words. We're going to get straight into this. I'm so glad that you're so excited. And this is exactly the infectious smile I was talking about. It's now coming through your words. And one of the things that we talk about a lot in the Dancer's Circle, and one of the things that I bring up in my program for Dancer's Circle, is this thing called joy connection. So, you know, we all come, we all come to dance in the, in the first place when we first find ourselves in dance or dance finds us showing up in a really beautiful particular kind of way so it's the way that we show up before having to prove something comes into play before it becomes a career before that expectation that ambition those bars we put on ourselves and tags and the the noise comes into play there is a, there is a place and a time when we showed up to dance and it was the fount of all joy when it was timeless when it was universal when it when we stood in that and we remembered 
that. So part of the program that I, I love doing with my dancers is this coming home again. So remembering that moment and and calling on that moment when times are tough. And we all know a dancer's journey is is far from a simple one and they're full of tough times. So it's a really, really beautiful tool and technique that I encourage with dancers is, is going back to that joy connection and remembering that joy connection. So on that note, I'm going to ask you, do you remember your first, that first moment where dance really showed up for you or you showed up for dance and you thought, wow, okay, this is this is more than just moving my body around a room. This is more than just putting on a leotard. This is speaking to me. Do you remember details? What Do you remember how you felt? Explain that to me. First off, I want to say that that's such a powerful technique you've chosen to work through because so often when you turn your passion into a career, just like any job, you have some pretty crappy days. So it's hard to stay passionate about why you began, why you started. So to answer your question as eloquently as I can, for me, dancing was joyful because it was, as you mentioned, I started dancing because my because of my older sisters. So it was my connection to them. It was actually crazy. My eldest sister started her first dance studio when she was 14. It was this tiny little not-for-profit uh, Saturday classes only in the, the local hall out very far west in New South Wales. Not super far, but quite far. Anyway, she started this little dance studio and for our concerts at the end of the year, we would do a little sisters act. And I remember specifically doing the song, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves. I'm not sure the official title of that, the weather, the weather Girls, I think. Anyway, yes. all about that, a female empowerment. But there's me and my, my, my older sisters are 10 and 8 years older than I am. So you can imagine two teenagers and then this tiny little things, no idea what she's doing. And they, you know, run around with me and lift <laughs> me up. And it was such a, a beautiful moment to share with my older sisters. My middle sister ended up giving up not long after that. She was more of an artist in terms of painting and drawing, super skilled there and, and mm-hmm. an absolute traveler. But the older sister went on to do a little more um, commercial dance work as well as owning studios. Um, and she's now a primary school teacher. But yeah, it was just that connection that I had with my sisters. I don't think I ever, as much as I wanted to be a ballerina, I don't know if I ever really imagined myself dancing as a career, but it was not having that pressure of how do I make a career out of this that, you know, it made it home and it made it something that I got to look forward to after school or for the weekend and connecting with my friends as I got older. Before, yeah, before any, okay, well, I don't have the right feet to be a ballerina, so that's out. Um, Not that great at tapping. So, (laughs) you know, before all those stresses. So, yeah, definitely the joy that came with being on stage with my sisters when I was super tiny. And we've got some funny photos of those times too. (laughs) You're going to have to show me some of those photos, I feel. I want to see them. I want to see them. I feel like it's a calling. I definitely feel like even when you're a child, you understand, possibly more so when you're a child, you understand when something more presents itself, when something speaks to the very essence of you and and your soul. I think you're probably more even attuned to it when you're a child. You may not have the language for it or know particularly what, what is happening, but you're definitely more open to it. And I remember my first, my first moment, And then we'll move on. I just, you you actually just, it just came to me as you were describing your first coming home moment. I remember being probably three or four years old and I was just, you know, my mother had thrown me into a ballet class. I think I went to once a week 
and I was doing my first concert. We'd actually just changed cities. So uh, I moved around a lot as a child, but we just changed cities. I think I got thrown in this routine that I probably had no idea what I was doing because I remember feeling completely like unsure of where I was and what was going on. And someone put a, a yellow leotard on me with petals draping down I think we were yellow daisies or something and it was a concert and I remember being backstage in this room holding on to other children's hand mum wasn't there I had no idea who anybody was so I was kind of this I do remember being a little bit overwhelmed a little bit confused and just quite proud of myself though with my little mm. yellow daisy costume I remember thinking that was pretty cool and then I remember vividly I, I honestly remember it vividly standing in you know it must have been the the corridor backstage ready to go to the stage door and I heard dancing on the ceiling that song and it was the scene and it was the seniors doing their jazz routine and I could hear it from afar because you know I wasn't on the stage but I could hear it and the music, you know that song, it just gets you going. And it just like, oh, just. Yeah, but even played. It's just insane. And I literally, I, I can and I can close my eyes and feel it right now. This vibration and this buzz came through my body and this excitement. And it was like my eyes popped out of my head. It was like my head opened up and exploded. <laughs> and I just felt every fibre of my being buzzing. And I just thought, oh, what? <laughs> my three-year-old brain I don't know what I thought in that moment it was all <laughs> feeling but whatever that feeling was I knew from that moment that that is what I did that is what I wanted in my life that is that was it that was me that is what it's about okay I get it now and I think I've been chasing that <laughs> for the last well I'm, yes. I'm I don't want to give my age away but for 35 years I have been chasing that and I've been finding it again and again and again and that moment just keeps when I'm when I'm having dark days or throughout my career when I've had tough times and I've questioned myself in dance or I've questioned dance in myself, I come back to that moment and I just think, wow, that that just speaks volumes and that that is where it's at. I can't even describe that other than it alighted, it, it ignited my soul and it spoke to me and it felt like your words when we spoke about this. It, it was coming home. It was, it was me. It was my essence. It was my soul. And it was freaking amazing. <laughs> I've wanted that ever yes. since. So we're going to move on. I'm going to ask you, you got a bit older, you go to training, you go to college, you go to you're getting a bit more serious about your dancing. Some of the noise starts coming in. What were some of the challenges? Mm. You're not quite a professional yet, but you're kind of you're 15, 16, 17, 18. You're thinking, okay, this, this might be a career for me. You're spending more time in dancing. You're saying no to some things in school or in your friend's circle because you're putting dance first. You're going through that turbulent time of, of growing into yeah. a woman's body and all those other crazy things that happen when you're a teenager that are just tough to deal with. What were some big challenges, if you can go back to that time, big challenges or blockages or what was the inner talk for you there? I probably when I was around 11 or 12 started to get more realistic than I think I should have by questioning, just completely questioning myself and my, my, my capabilities, my talents, my skills, my worthiness, worthiness being the operative word. I was at a very competitive dance studio and I, as much as I wasn't in the, the lower class and I hate to use that term, but it definitely felt like there was a group of kids that would they'd rather ignore 
the group of kids that were decent enough and the group of the kids that, that would they'd feature all the time. And I'm not saying that that's not necessary. I think kids that work hard and for certain reasons should be featured and all of that. But I was in that middle group where I was doing all of the sort of production team things, the, the supermarket shows on the weekend and getting a taste of professional life at such a little age. But I still wasn't ever considered one of the favourites. And then that was absolutely the word that we had for it, the favourites. So by the time I was 11, 12, and I've, I've come from mental health, anxiety and depression being quite big in my family, I started to really, really just put so much pressure on myself that I already started to lose the love for it. Dropping back, I was still doing a lot of dance at high school and focusing a lot of, on choreography and doing really well at that. And I did a bit of ballet outside of school, but I went from doing the 20 hours of training that I did at this high standard championship school to cutting it right back and still not really loving it because I'm not built for ballet. I'm quite tall. I do not have very great feet. My turnout's decent, but not enough. And I did. I started to really kind of resent the craft. So, of course, it was all that I felt that I had. So by the time I was 14, 15, I thought, this is all I've worked towards. You know, my academics were fine, but I hated school. I wanted to be a dancer, but I felt like dancing didn't want me. And I ended up being diagnosed with chronic fatigue. And I now feel like that was more to do with the anxiety and depression because it played a role in my life from age 14 up till 19 when I finally pulled myself up and said, I'm going to do full-time. And I did my year of full-time dance, even if it kills me, because I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know if I'd make a career out of it, but mm. I just thought, i got to do it now and we'll see what happens. And it was halfway through that that a doctor prescribed me a antidepressant just a low dose, basically, actually with an anti-anxiety med. So what it did was it took that mental, anyone with anxiety, and I know a lot of us do, that that overthinking where your brain's running a million miles an hour that is actually physically exhausting for most people. It took that away and it calmed that down and it definitely numbed to a sense. Anyone that's been on these um, medications knows that feeling, but it absolutely helped me get through that last part of my full-time course because I wasn't sweating the small stuff. I had all of this energy because that wasn't there anymore. Um, I'm getting off track. Can you repeat the question, please? <laughs> no, you've, you've, you've actually answered it really honestly and rawfully. That's my word. I know that's not a word, but I, I know I I'm just going to keep, I'm going <laughs> to keep saying it. Claimed I've it claimed it and it's, it's out there. No, you've answered it really well. And, and the reason I didn't interject is because I obviously was holding space for you and I wanted you to speak clearly about a time in your life mm. that would be bringing up pain for you. But it just was such a weighted answer. And there were so many things that I, I felt in that. It does break my heart to hear that you were given that diagnosis at a young age and that you were prescribed medication. I'm glad that you found that the medication helped you. And I am by no means, I never, I have never said to any of my health clients, and I'm not here to state in this podcast that I believe that there isn't a place for antidepressants or anxiety medication. There absolutely is, and I am no doctor and will yeah. never claim to be one. However, <laughs> as someone who has experienced herself with being diagnosed with a mood disorder at 18 years of age, 
And as someone who herself was on um, antidepressants for two years, as someone who has experienced that numbing feeling that you talk about, Mm. and as a IIN health coach and someone who has spent years and years studying this very thing, and just as a human, (laughs) as a human, I'm concerned when young people get diagnoses such as these ones. I'm concerned when it's medicated. I, again, like I say, perhaps that was the right path for you and it helped you. So that's great. That's what we want. You want the end result. Yeah. But I wonder and I, I ask, do I have permission from you to, to say of what course. I think? Okay. You know me. Um, Open book. I wonder if someone capable had have sat down with you and talked you through the the five years prior to that and the feelings that were going on for you there Mm. and that heaviness and unpacked that for you and helped you see that with a different perspective, helped you understand where that anxiety and those racing thoughts were coming from and gave you some tools and gave you some ways to to unravel those things and to see the truth in those things, then perhaps you could have worked through that in a different way without without the medication, you know? I don't know. That's just how I feel about those things. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, perhaps it could have been a combined effort. Perhaps the medication had a place, but also did you have anybody? Did, was there anybody there that offered you that depth of really going to the root of the problem? You know, in hindsight, because in my adult life, I very, especially like from that point forward, basically, I took my, I've taken my, my health into my own hands and really taking it seriously because at the end of the day, it's all I have, especially in in this line of work. If my body's not functioning, if my mind isn't right, I've got nothing to go with. So since that situation where it was a GP and I said, you know, this is my situation and he said, try these meds, they should help and they did, then I started seeing my first psychologist. So if I could rewind back to 14-year-old me with chronic fatigue, I probably should have been talking to somebody because there's, I mean, there's a lot of sort of grey area with chronic fatigue syndrome and as much as it is a diagnosed uh, disease, it does go hand in hand with mental health. And I had been told time and time again that I should meditate. And I know for so many people, they go, meditate, what is that? Sitting alone by yourself, okay, why, how, what, what's that going to do? But I remember speaking to you about it, that first contract that I did, and I'm sure we'll go to it, is uh, overseas. I had time to meditate and I made it a priority. And the effects of meditation for me were absolutely exactly the same effects that that antidepressant had on me in my year of full time. There you go. We will get to that. We absolutely will get to that. And and I guess, again, we are both obviously not saying that med- meditation is the answer for everybody in place of no. medication. We're certainly not sending that message out. Medication, not medication. But in my situation. Exactly. That. In my situation, it wasn't as, you know, necessary maybe to to medicate when I could medicate. yeah exactly and I mean these are things that somebody decides with their doctor yes but it's important you you did say some things there that came up that that we are going to talk about later but I just want to pick it up again you you are a brilliant advocate for your own health and I think I, I don't want to say too much right now because we are going to get into that later but you're so young And you were young at that point and you're a brilliant advocate for your health. And that's what self-care is. That's the definition of self-care is advocating your own health and taking responsibility for your own health. I do, however, want to say in your answer, I felt like there was 
perhaps some, not guilt, that's the wrong word, but a little bit of perhaps I should have done this and I should have done that. And I, that also breaks my heart because Erica, you were 14, you were 14, you're a child, mm-hmm. you know, you no, honestly, yeah, I, that, that just shows that the weight that young dancers are putting on their shoulders is huge. You, you even now in hindsight, even reflecting back on assigning yourself biggest amount of responsibility. And although at 14, we aren't completely ignorant and we can speak up for ourselves. The last thing I want to do is disempower 14 year old girls. No, but still, still, we are still children when we're 14 (laughs) and we go to GPs and we go to psychologists and we have a dance teacher somewhere there in the picture. And not everybody is a health professional. Not everybody knows what to do. And I'm not expecting or demanding that of anybody. However, my concern is that there are so many 14-year-old girls out there who are feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders that are having these problems and they're getting whacked with a diagnosis like chronic fatigue and having some medication shoved down their throat and, and without other avenues looked at first. Yeah. And I think and I think that's the thing. It's not that medication doesn't have a place. It does, but I feel like like you've kind of come to perhaps realise there may have been other pathways for you to go down that would have really got to the root of the problem rather than a Band-Aid, a Band-Aid solution. But thank you for sharing that. We could go on and on about that. We won't. Maybe we can save that for another for another episode together <laughs> because, like I said, I've also had my experience with that. And, again, the medication came into play. I could sit here and say that it helped me. It certainly numbed me. I don't like to use the word balanced because it wasn't balanced. It was it was just shutting particular things down so that they weren't there anymore. And the root of the problem or the roots of the problem, because it's always a plural thing, isn't it? Yeah. They have come up and bitten me time and time again. And I wasn't prepared and I'm not prepared to spend my life on medication because it took other things away from me that I... Yeah that I've wanted and missed. And again, I won't go into this, but my personal experience, which is unlike other people's, was that what I needed at that point was someone to sit down and really ask me what was going on. I needed somebody to talk to me, to hear me, to hold space for me and to offer me at my young, immature age. And I was exactly where I needed to be. What was I to know at 17, at 18? I needed someone to sit down with me and and actually talk to me and see me and hear me and walk me through those those other ways. It might've been just as simple as somebody, some beautiful soul hearing my story. And that might've been just enough. So we're going to move on though, but thank you for being so vulnerable. This is what I said at the beginning. I knew this is what you were going to, you were going to show up this way. We're going to move on to your first professional contract. So this is the fun part. Um, this was actually in Australia. Mm. And I remember when we spoke about this a few weeks ago and the word you used, and I loved it, was you got slaughtered. <laughs> mm-hmm. So tell me about that first. A lot of young dancers might be listening to this or other colleagues, fellow professional dancers. We all remember that first contract. We all remember that moment where we thought, oh, I can't swear here and I don't want to, but you think, wow, okay, like, yeah, just come from one world and I have been plopped into this one and wow, yes, slaughtered is exactly the description. So tell me how, how did you get slaughtered? What, what, what was that? I wonder, I do wonder if there's ever going to be a time where your training will actually lead you into the professional realm. (laughs) 
every every dancer that I speak to has trained, could be the tip top dancer in their studio or their full time, goes to do their first professional gig and gets slaughtered. It's just such a common occurrence. I love listening to people's stories now that I am lucky enough to still be in the industry and be surrounded by incredible performers that have been working their butts off for 10 or so years now and they can still go back to that first contract and give you the details of how they had to cry into their pillow every night because they were just not coping but also they'll talk about how it was the best thing that ever happened to them so for me I desperately wanted this job here in Sydney I'd auditioned two times prior I think the first time was just at the end of maybe full-time and they do audition rounds every six months luckily enough they like fresh faces I also had it in my head that I was too young and inexperienced, which has become a common theme in my life, but that's another thing. And I ended up getting a decent portfolio done and lo and behold, the person that, you know, is really in charge of booking people is very much about aesthetics and those great photos got me in, <laughs> among other things, I'm sure. But I finally booked it on my third go. I was young. I was on stage with women that had danced at the Moulin Rouge and the Lido and cruise ships all over the world. They were closer to 30 and I had all the respect in the world for them, but I could not get over myself. I could not own the stage like they did. And it's a small cast. You're on stage with four women and a female singer as well. So four female dancers, a male dancer and a singer. And it's tiny and it's intimate and it's a beautiful show and it's super hard work. It's 50 minutes nonstop. So learning it alone in such a short amount of time blew my mind and retaining it and then trying to nail it, but then also trying to understand the style of, of, of a showgirl slash cabaret. You know, there's a bit of everything in the show, but you've got to dance it like a showgirl. You've got to dance it like your legs go for three kilometers. You've got to hold yourself. You've got to use your hips. You've got to be a woman. You can't be too cute. Um, I was always too excited. I'd had feedback like, you need to ooze, you need to be more womanly, you need to dance for yourself, not for the audience. All of these terms and words got thrown at me and I had no idea what they meant. I just wanted to wake up the next day and and have it. And it's something that I still work on every day, you know, to understand this this persona that you play for uh, as a professional dancer. You have to go on stage and you have to command the stage without obviously trying to outshine your fellow performers you're not a soloist you're in you're in a cast you know you have to still dance in unison but you still have to dance even now I can't even explain it but the best thing was I finally got over to Paris and my incredible boss from this first production that I'm talking about she I think had always modeled us on the crazy horse Paris dancers or at least she modeled herself that way she danced that way and she did a great job of it even right down to the bevel. There's a crazy horse bevel. So she was always trying to push me to get to that. I won't say standard because in my dreams will I be a crazy horse Paris dancer, but that kind of feel. And then I finally got to see that show in Paris and I raced back to my hotel and I sent her a message and I said, I get it. I see it. I understand exactly what you want. And then I had this moment of, I can't believe she thought that I was capable of that. It was the most humbling process. That was a really intense, really quick six months, but it's it absolutely catapulted me to where I am now. I would not be here if that hadn't have played out exactly as it did. Which is just, yeah, that's just beautiful. I mean, look, Crazy Horse, you, you've you got me. I'm actually buzzing because Crazy Horse is my fave. It, it is. I know it is. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it took over my life as well. I actually got introduced to the Crazy Horse uh, working. I was on a cruise ship. I had a fellow cast member 
a male dancer, gorgeous dancer, and he was obsessed with mm. the crazy horse. He was actually a French dancer. Yeah. I mean, he had friends who worked in the crazy horse, and we actually have some Australian dancers in the crazy horse. Tanil, her name is. She's stunning. She's stunning, stunning. Yeah, oh, just gorgeous. And he and and I remember again one of those vivid, like you said, you know, there those moments where everything yeah. can never be the way that yeah. it was before, right? It just changes. And I'm lying on the stage. I think we just finished a rehearsal. He pulls out his, his laptop and he starts watching his show. And I'm sitting by and laying all over him as we do as dancers. We kind no of have no kind of no. personal <laughs> space. No boundaries. I'm laying all over him kind of thing. And, <laughs> and I lean over and I see this these hips and I see this seduction and I see this art because that's what it is 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 light show absolutely it's living paint work really Mm -hmm. and I I just said to him what the hell is this (laughs) and he said something to me and said something to me in French really fast the look on his face was pretty much I mean I didn't speak French but I knew what he was saying to me was how the hell do you not know that this is ignorant (laughs) excuse me (laughs) (laughs) very much here we go again the Australian dancer has got no clue and I, I just watched it with him and then I said to him, where do I find this? I want more of this. I, I can't believe. I can't believe this has existed and I have not known about it and it had become my obsession and it has influenced every piece of choreographic work I've done since then. As you've said, you've seen my work, you know what it's like. Yeah. And not only, it has it has also, I think, meshed into my definition and my expression of being a woman in my daily experience. I'm not saying I go out and do a crazy horse show all day, every day. Certainly not. That would not be appropriate. But it it empowered me in a way where perhaps, and I, I, this is another podcast we could do together because we brushed mm. on it before and we won't go there today, but I definitely want to have this conversation with you. But it it re it adjusted my definition of what being woman was and and my sensual expression. Let's just say that yeah, it was so empowering and just so uh, a portal for things that I think we've as women feel well as people feel it's that that sensual level. It's that sexual expression, but done in such an empowering and beautiful, gorgeous way. way. Exactly, it is that beautiful. It, it, it's stunning, absolutely stunning. So unapologetic. Unapologetic and totally within their authenticity and just oozing. It's you know, those words that you stuck out before. And I mean these yeah. are these are definitely showgirl words and the oozing and the dancing for you and the commanding and the hips and the, I just, just even the way your voice has <laughs> just changed. It's like it's this and it's that. Like there's no way to really explain it until you start to find it within yourself. And yeah, seeing a show like Crazy Horse is like you get to own everything wow that is that in you so if you're listening to us right now and you don't know what crazy horse is i suggest you go and look it up because it is you know it's not everybody's cup of tea i will i will say that no some people don't feel it um some people don't resonate with it if you're being shocked by it maybe look into that why are you being shocked by it <laughs> let Absolutely, yourself know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and i i am yet to see it in paris i've seen it when it was at the lyric theater <gasps> I know, and I have watched it uh, a million times, Mm -hmm. obviously, Mm -hmm. streaming and just obsessed with it. In general, I've tried to recreate the show with obviously my take and my spin on it here, there and everywhere. And yeah, but I, I will get to Paris. That's that's what I'm giving myself for my 40th birthday is a whole weekend wow. of crazy horse. 
And if I can I'm get on with you, <laughs> yeah, lock it in. You've got a few years, and I'm going to get myself on that damn stage, whether they like it or not. So, um, <laughs> they're very welcome. Oh, look, look, this is the thing I will say, and then we're going to move on because we could again, we could talk about Crazy Horse all day. Oh, yeah, the Crazy Horse fan club. Listen, my love, you are young and you are gorgeous. And I would say that you should not rule out the crazy horse as a goal for yourself. I'm just going to throw that out there and let that sit for you because if you haven't thrown it out into the universe, then I'm going to throw it out into the universe for you. Alrighty. There you go. My my short ass. I have actually auditioned for the Crazy Horse. I flew to Milan and auditioned for them, and they would not let me dance for them because the first thing they do is you may or may not know this. The first thing they do is they get you to take your deceivingly high heels off, mm-hmm. and they measure you. And if you don't get to that bar, that height, you can't even dance for them. So, but. I had to do it. I had to do it because the crazy horse obsessive person in me and I always want to go for my dreams no matter how far out they are and I knew I knew I was too short. I lied about my height so that I could even get the audition. So, you know, let's be honest. We all do it. I knew my, <laughs> I knew my I'm like I'm barely 5'6 for people that don't know my height. So I had no no right of even being in the vicinity <laughs> of that audition. I'm <laughs> No, but it just doesn't matter. My but, sister used to go to auditions that were strictly 18 and over. She'd go in at 16 just to get the experience. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you do that. I thought though, in my defense, I did think that I I would at least get some choreography out of it and I would at least get to move and learn something from some beautiful artistic director from what I've been told though you don't learn choreography from what I've been told and I could be wrong you just freestyle yes yes in fact you may not um, have missed out no, you don't. Apparently the girls were going in and they were just being measured. And, and this is a whole other podcast because there's a few issues we can bring out of this. Some some, mm. some great ones and some perhaps questionable ones, but it was measuring the arch of the spine and uh, freestyling yes. and obviously the height and then the profile. And so I, I never, I, well, they didn't measure the arch of my spine, did they? Um, <laughs> You're too short, Nat. I was too short, but what I did do was I totally absorbed the energy of that room and this gorgeous French woman with the best bangs I've ever seen, just being in her presence, I soaked that up and I cradled my crazy horse audition number all the way back to my hotel and me and a fellow Australian dancer who was just as short as I was, (laughs) there was no tears shed. We just grabbed our stuff. We had a chat and we said, right, we're in Milan. We went and sat by the, you know, the main cathedral in the main piazza and we had spritzes all day and quote unquote, this is what I said to her. I said, you know what? One day I'm going to create a crazy horse show for short dancers. And I, it's exactly what I did. I did it years later. It wasn't in Paris and it wasn't in the crazy horse theater. And it wasn't even in the lyric theater, but it was in a theater space. It had an audience. We had a few shows. They got sold out. How beautiful. And my cast, you got to, (laughs) my cast was, you know, you got to bring people. I did. Bring them together. So much. I did. I gave, I gave the crazy horse dream to myself, but also to a a cast of a a variety of heights and shapes and um and we had a lot of fun and it was it was it was a moment for me where I had a bit of a laugh to myself because you know you can't take yourself too seriously on these things but also a little bit of satisfaction so I got to be a tiger I got to die right behind a cage and it was you know it was satisfying let's move on because again we <laughs> 
we could talk about this. I got to be the Egyptian goddess. Word of the night. Exactly. Let's move on. We could talk for hours about this and we've got so much more to get through. But right, you then went to Europe. You got doubly slaughtered. I just want to pick up on that one other note that you said because it's so important. Again, we're going to talk about this again on another podcast. That that, And this is what we talk about in the Dance Circle program again. That huge leap between pre-professional training and a real professional job. Are dancers really being prepared? Brace for impact. And it's, it's you know, it's, I think it's a... It's got to be a total 360 preparation. I think there are some things missing. I think there are some amazing educators out there, some brilliant programs, so I'm not knocking them at all. I think that they're great. I just feel like they can always be added to and they could always be enriched. And I think that a mental mindset preparation element is missing, hence why I've created the Dancer Circle program because I go there. And then on a level of technique, especially I think with the other uh, styles and genres, they've pretty much got that covered I think when it comes to showgirl there is definitely a missing link so yeah and you're not the first showgirl that has said that I've said it myself I know there's some other great not only Australian but international dancers and choreographers out there perhaps some people that are running programs and workshops that are showgirl style that do say they all comment on the fact that they finished their their full-time professional training they went straight into their first show and they are obviously on a mental level and emotional level you get slaughtered because you're dealing with fatigue, you're dealing with a pace that you've never met before, you're dealing with questions, oh, my God, do I deserve to be here? You're comparing yourself. So there's all these pressures. You're trying on costumes, you're getting casting directors looking you up and down, they're scrutinising every inch of your body. You have a, a level to live up to and the last thing you want to do is disappoint anybody. So there's this huge amount of pressure that I think a mindset preparation is absolutely necessary necessary and I do that in my dancer circle program but there's also this technical element you're not really taught to show girl walk in in (laughs) you're not taught how to do a bevel you're not taught how to all those beautiful words although I do believe most of the time that does come with experience and age, mm-hmm. it's very hard for a 17-year-old to know how to lead with her hips and command with her central energy. It's exposure. Um, you know, that does come. Kind of, that was one of the notes that it, I got. It is the exposure. feedback that I would get a lot during that first contract here in Sydney was watch the other dancers dance like them pay attention to how they move Mm. and how they do it. I think the first few years when you're young, it's very much a mimicking process. Whoever told you to do that absolutely was 100% correct. Mm. When you come later into your years, you're you're bringing in your mimicking and your practicing and your muscle memory of doing that copying of other dancers, but you're also then bringing in your own life energy, which comes from being a more mature. From who you are. It does. (laughs) Share that and embrace that. It does. And throw it at people basically through your performance on stage. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. And I think if anyone's ever had a rehearsal with me with Dance for Events, the amount of times in a rehearsal I will scream hips at people is, I think think that's my key word. But I I say that coming from a place that knows when I I first started my contract, I didn't know how to show girl walk. I didn't know how to walk in chorus heels properly. And it was actually a male singer in his 40s who pulled me aside and said to me, right, darling, in his heavy Scottish accent, I'm going to teach you how to walk. And he did. He he took 45 minutes out of his time and I walked up and down that stage until I got it. And believe it or not, he was my muse and my inspiration. So you never know where where it's going to come from. But it's a shame. It's a shame. I would like to see this being taught again. It is a mature 
element and technique, absolutely. So I, I wouldn't want to see this technique being taught on 15-year-olds or 16-year-olds. A little bit older is better. No. But yeah, it's definitely something that, that we need to, to, to kind of start thinking about bringing in and definitely the mindset that that preparation is going to help you actually stand within your physical body far easier if you've got your mind space sorted. Okay, we're going to move on because we can talk about things forever. You went to Europe with your first professional contract or a reputable circus in Germany. You got slaughtered again. <laughs> it wasn't, you know what? It actually wasn't that one that got, that was a, a too, too harsh. That was actually a really nice okay. easing process in terms of the work, in terms of the show. The slaughtering came with the lifestyle change, the being a codependent turned independent, the excess time that mm-hmm. I had before shows each day, the lifestyle, the conditions, everything that came with being on tour basically that I had not prepared for. <laughs> that was where the slaughtering right. came. The show was actually quite wonderful and quite easy and I got really lucky and I got put into this extra routine and made a bit more money. <laughs> it was fabulous. But, yeah, the lifestyle, what it did to me as a person was the basically – the undoing of everything that I thought I was. <laughs> that can be a good thing. And it is a good thing. It's the hard in the moment. And it's that unraveling of, like you said, of everything you thought you were and everything that you knew as yourself. It's that deepening of, it's that opportunity to do that soul work. It's that deepening. It's that growth. It's that evolution. It's necessary and it's brilliant. And I think two things mm-hmm. in this situation for you and for lots of dancers out there and people, humans out there, when you travel, when you, and I'm not talking about a 14-day Kentucky trip, I'm talking about you go and you, <laughs> you although that, that can obviously serve um, as a catalyst for that as well. However, when you actually physically pack up your stuff and you move and you live somewhere else for a considerable amount of time, there's this shift that happens because everything that you've anchored yourself with and identified yourself with and defined yourself with and used as your parameters for who you are are not there anymore and you, you're faced with a completely different set of structures, of conditionings, of culture, constructs, of languages, languages of different ways to do things, feel people's things. work ethics, exactly, diets, everything. everything. So you're it literally shakes up everything. Exactly. You're launched into a whole new space where suddenly those things aren't there anymore. And so um, this is what I want to go into a little bit more with you. You went from codependent to independent. You branched, you became that that hungry caterpillar when he builds a cocoon, he comes out as a beautiful butterfly. You spread your wings and it was painful because it's always painful to break out of that cocoon. It's it's hard work, it's painful. It's you go down before you go up, Absolutely. you fall apart, so you can piece yourself back together again in a different way, in a in an evolved version. Only to fall apart and do it all over again. Of course. <laughs> That's the cycle. It happened once. That's the circle. It just keeps happening and happening and it, it's necessary. It's yes. necessary for growth, necessary for moving forward. It's necessary for healing wounds, as we know. And I want to talk to you about, and again, like I was saying, that happens with travel. It also happens with with dancers. It happens when you're working with different cast dynamics. Like you said, you get challenged. You get challenged by other people, other personalities, other views, other habits, lifestyles, like you said, but you also suddenly look at yourself in the mirror 
Mm. literally because you're doing your makeup mm-hmm. every night but you're having to, you're having to look at yourself in the mirror and really question okay who who the hell am I okay who, who do I Erica? want to be so like you start to realize that you exactly. have control over that that's your story how are you going to write it exactly and mm-hmm. and as we said in our past conversation and this is where we're going to go right now you suddenly become aware of the fact that everything you've perhaps always known about yourself was the narrative you were telling yourself. It was the story that you were telling yourself over and over again. And some of which was authentic and true. And most of which was simply that a story. So tell me you had a relationship breakdown, which many dancers, uh, not all, but many dancers, when they obviously they have a partner back home and they go away for an extended amount of time. And it's not always the distance that breaks up a relationship, but it's that growth. And it's that the growth in different directions that sometimes does it, or it's as you, what happened with you, you went from being so heavily codependent to finding your wingspan to finding, hang on a minute, some of these narratives aren't serving me anymore. So tell me about that breaking apart tell me about the soul work you did to to stand in front of those narratives and see them for what they were and what stories came up for you that you realized didn't serve you anymore all righty I want to just make a point of the time before you go on contract for anyone that's listening to this you get the dream contract and there's potentially three months more or less where you're processing your visa and you're organizing your life accordingly that is the heart what that's that's, it already begins at that point. Basically, you have to start saying no to work or you'll, you won't be able to take on work because you'll be leaving soon. There's all these sort of things that happen and you are left on your own to start considering things. So for me, the journey had already started before I left. And that was a really confronting time for me because I'd gone from doing the Sydney thing, which was having eight different people to uh, invoice every week because I was teaching all over Sydney and I was doing nightclub jobs and I was doing shows and I was doing whatever I could get because I never had enough money. Go, 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 go. No time to breathe. Burnt out. No idea who I was to all of a sudden having not a lot of work at all. And then this looming contract that I really did feel like was going to shake up things for me because I'd already always been so codependent on my family, on my mother um, as a single mom, she was always the most important thing in my life. And then my partner, who I'd been with for four years, he was everything. He was my best friend. We lived together. We talked to each other all throughout the day and spent, you know, all our time together. And um, I remember taking the job and saying to him, you know, if you don't think we can do this, then I understand. Because I knew he was just going to do the supportive thing, even though it was going to tear him apart. So there was so much to consider before I even got on that airplane. And I, to this day, don't know how I got on that airplane, but obviously I'm very glad that I did. Um, and it was almost immediate once I set foot in Germany and the language of the language barriers, like the, it was a driver from the circus that came to pick me up at Munich airport, which was all very official. And I felt safe. He didn't speak a lick of English. He was, uh, I think, Ukrainian or Russian. He was doing 140 kilometres an hour, if not more, up the autobahn, smoking, typing on his phone. <laughs> and I just had no idea what was happening. It was like minus three degrees. I was just, I was in, and obviously the travel, 26 hours of travel. I'd never done that loop before. I'd never been to Europe. And I just decided I was going to go live there for eight months with a circus. I just, I don't know how I did it. Obviously, I've always wanted to travel as a dancer. That's always been there. And then I got to a point when I was 22 thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm so old. I'm running out of time. I need to go. And then was lucky enough to book this job. Anyway, so I get there and it's just, it, it's rough. It was really, really rough. My relationship did crumble. It had already crumbled before I left. And I remember crying every day. 
because I was trying to hold on to something that was it was just not there anymore. Um, and I felt like I was left alone a lot of the time with my own thoughts. I got challenged in a sense of going into rehearsals and being the only English-speaking girl. So a lot of the <laughs> rehearsals and a lot of the talk within the rehearsal room was all in Russian. And my beautiful dance captain who actually hired me, she would do her best to you know, come up to me and, and be gentle with me. But they have a different way of doing things. They are very blunt and straight down the line and I admire that so much. But sometimes it would just be a bit abrasive for me. So it was a lot of coming to terms with that. And then once we were off and doing the tours and feeling quite unsettled because you're only in a, a town for a couple of days, couple of nights, there's small, tiny German towns that don't speak a lot of English again. So you've got to try and pull out your best German. It was. It was just such a massive learning curve. But I did, I don't know what it was exactly that, I think it was probably just a matter of not wanting to feel the way I was feeling. So I felt like I needed to take control over my mental health and and control the controllables, basically. I wasn't on any antidepressants or anything at that stage. I'd made a point of coming off all meds before I left. So I was pretty highly strung, and that was when I started to meditate. And I was only doing 10 minutes at the, you know, the start of the day and at the end of the day. But like I said earlier, it was just that gave me such a, a nice sense of calm throughout my day and a, and a sense of appreciation for what was going on. My mum gave me the best advice. She said, see it for what it is. You know, days when I wasn't feeling like I was loving it. And I had been told that, you know, you'd get about three months into the contract and go, oh, why am I doing this? This wasn't what I dreamt up. But my mum would say, see it for what it is. You're traveling a part of the world, part of Germany, ordinary traveling part of Europe with a, 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 perform- a circus. You know, it just, even now it baffles me that that was part of my life for the best part of two years it was such a great time and I I would try my best not to get caught up but I did have some pretty dark days and it was it was just about learning who I was learning that I wasn't my emotions and my feelings and that I had control over my perspective and that I could shift when I wasn't feeling so great I could just focus on all of the good things and I know that sounds kind of basic when I say it out loud. I feel like most people have an innate sense of being able to do these, these things. No, it was really I have to stop you there because most people don't have the capacity to do that. Most people do become their thoughts and feelings and, and they, mm-hmm. it owns them. So most people don't. Most people know. Most people have heard this advice. They know that's what they need to do. Most people don't actually have the ability to do that I have been studying this and advocating this for years and years and years and I've been using this these techniques and these you know that notion and I still have days where for a small amount of time I will become my emotions I will become my negative thoughts and I have to pull myself out of it so I think it's a battle that just goes on and on and on Unless, of yeah. course, you, you're a, a guru and you can <laughs> slap that in two seconds flat. But for the rest of us, no, it's a process and it's a constant calling ourselves out, checking ourselves in. Yeah. You said something also really interesting there that I'm going to pull out, apart from, of course, the fact that you found meditation has helped you. I, I, I really think meditation <laughs> could be beautiful for everybody, dancers particularly, mm. because we are often frantic, we're often fast-paced. And we're often, we need stillness. We do need stillness. And we're we're so focused on what's going on around us most of the time and so focused on the external feedback. What's the choreographer saying? What's the director saying? What's the producer saying? What's my casting agent saying? What are the other dancers saying? What are the audience thinking? So, so many of these external feedbacks that we put so much focus on that we don't often find.
find that stillness and that's where we lose ourselves. So I think meditation should just be something that all dancers do. Obviously, that's a process as well and something that needs to be practiced. I'm so, so glad to hear that you have found that as one of your soul tools. That's something that's helped you. But you pulled something else out there and we're going to tease that a bit without going too far and we've got so much to talk about you said that at three months in you you looked around and you thought this is not what I dreamt it to be and I think that's such a huge point for dancers because we finish full-time and we have this idea in our head and this applies to life in general but I think it's really pronounced in dancers and we think I'm going to be happy when I get that contract. (laughs) I'm going to be happy when I'm working on stage in Europe and getting paid. I'm going to be happy when, and then, you know, then you get that contract and then you think, no, I'm going to be happy when I'm doing that. You get that contract. No, I'm going to be happy when I'm doing this, when I'm doing that. And it's just this future point that you never get to. And your mum. It means to an end. Yeah, your mum, great advice. See it for what it is, which is basically another way of saying, open your eyes, wake up, be present. Look around. Yep. Which was what Eckhart Tolle was also telling exactly. me as I was going through his series of books. You know, it was coming at me from all sides and it was just so, so profound to be hearing it, especially from my mum, who I obviously admire so much. She's my biggest inspiration and my biggest fan. I, You know, she's supported me through all of this. But, yeah, just having those reminders to just to humble yourself, to settle yourself, to find stillness, to remember that this is all and this is nothing and and there there I mean we could go down that spiritual path as well just understanding that you are yeah you're in control you can be in control of these things because I think I just felt so out of control all Mm. the time no and I mean if if you've got your mum and Eckhart telling you to be present then that's two pretty (laughs) two pretty strong voices and it and it's true it's it's removing it's being present by removing the noise removing those stories that you're telling yourself removing the fear and really learning through love so it's really, uh, that was always going to happen for you. You were always going to go through that process. And as you've said in past conversations with me, and as I will sit here and say to you right now, that process never ends. It's ongoing and, and it's, it's, it's messy. It's a remembering. It's a remembering. But it is a remembering because it's all within you. And as you read these types of books or have these conversations, it's just like, light bulb, light bulb. Like I've always known. Exactly. This has always been with you. Yeah. And then you feel that little bit of, oh, how how did I, how was I? Egg on the fat. I was a bit stupid to go down that. Like I know this stuff. I know this stuff. Why do I keep forgetting it? Why am I getting so worked? We keep forgetting it because we let ego come in and ego can serve us in some sense. Mm -hmm. I always say you've got to, you've, you've got to invite ego along. It, It, it's got to sit there with you because yeah. it will. No, backseat. Back but exactly. <laughs> like the inner child and the ego in the backseat. You don't let them touch the steering Exactly. Wheel. It's got to sit in the backseat. Let it be there because otherwise it's going to fight you. If you resist it, it's going to it's it's going to fight you and it's probably going to win sometimes. So let it be there. Yeah, but let it keep you hungry. Let it keep that fire burning so that you keep pushing. Exactly. More. But only within yourself. I you think, um, and that's another thing we go, we looked at deeply in my dancer circle. I can't even say the name of my program, Dancer Circle Program. We look a lot at the role of ego, which is you can get quite, can can really take the driver's seat for a dancer's life. And just because of the way that the industry runs and some ways that the dancers enter the dance world and it's 
it's kind of a structural thing as well but it's really that unlearning of that and the weakening of the ego and the strengthening of the soul which is is what the circle's about too so and it all starts with conversations like these ones we're going to move on there's so many things we could pull out of this but I really I really want to carry on with our beautiful conversation and just keep keep moving through the content that I wanted to get through today we're going to have to book book in a second second episode with you um so we're gonna we're gonna briefly uh, go into you had some some issues with some pain so pain started coming up for you you were finding it hard to get through shows it just it just kept getting bigger and bigger for you didn't it until it until it eventually completely uh, engulfed you and you had to make a really difficult decision so tell me a bit about that and then we're going to talk about this particular issue because it touches a lot of dancers' lives and a lot of us don't always know uh, how to make that tough call and and how to navigate through that because it's tough and it sucks and none of us ever want pain or injury. You know, our body, it's our tool, it's our instrument, it's our vehicle, it's our expression. Without, Without the capacity of your body, you can't dance. So tell me about that. Tell me about that and then tell me, I'm very interested in the moment you made that call. What? How did you make that call? It's a hard one. It was super difficult, especially for me. I was lucky enough to go all the way. I was 23 at that time without having an injury, really. I'd never seen, I'd never stepped foot into a physio or a chiro office before. And I came back after the end of that contract and I was in pain for the whole month of the end of it and then I went and traveled a little bit as well and that was actually really hard moving my suitcase 70 kilos or so of luggage around Paris but um was determined to do it anyway got home and I was in quite a state and I didn't know where to start so I thought okay it's lower back I'll go to a Cairo and I bounced I ended up going to physio osteo at this point I've seen kinesiologists I've seen exercise physio no exercise uh, physicians I've gone everywhere but I just never took it seriously and I was also Dietary wise, I was not feeding myself very well. I wasn't looking after my body. I was very stubborn about that though, and no one could tell me otherwise. So essentially, my body was screaming out for all sorts of things that I just wasn't providing it with, and I did not know where to start. And I I couldn't really get a whole lot of help because often when you go to a physio or a chiro, if they've never dealt with a dancer, they don't know how to deal with a dancer. They'll treat you like the average Joe that sits at a desk all day, and that gets neither of you anywhere. But anyway, two years fast forward, and I ended up finally getting a diagnosis about uh, rheumatic disease or rheumatoid arthritis. So I definitely have and and had an issue going on there, but it was just quite a process to figure it out. And in the interim, it has meant that I've had to say for the first time, you know, in my career, I've had to say no, or I've had to pull out of jobs, which I'm sure for every dancer resonates in a sense of no, no, you don't do that. You don't let somebody down, especially when there are so many dancers killing themselves to get jobs. If you've been lucky enough to book one and or you know you've been working for that particular choreographer for a few time, for a few shows, a few gigs, a few years to turn around and tell them that you can't do the job. It just doesn't even sound like a, an option. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to be that dancer. And basically for me, I got to a point where I was barely walking. So it wasn't a matter of oh, you know, if mm. if I just do the job I'll, you know, maybe not, I'll do, I'll do like 80%. The, the audience might know I'm only giving 80%. No, for me, it was, it was so bad that I actually just could, I knew I wasn't going to get through the choreography, let alone the gig itself. So I did have to make that call. And it was a interesting learning curve for me because 
it all went the opposite direction to what I'd expected. I had assumed I was going to get a big black line through my name forever because I was pulling out of a job or in my second year of my German contract, ending the contract early and letting my whole cast down because we were already a dancer short. So it was really, really tough, but I just got to a point of desperation where I still didn't have any answers and I knew that if I was going to get to the bottom of it, I had to take the time to for myself to invest the effort of, okay, now who do we see? Who do we speak to? What MRIs am I getting? What tests am I getting done? Do I need to rest? Do I need to do physio? And I just needed time to get to the bottom of that. And it did span over two years, but there were dedicated months where I was getting cortisone shots to prepare for gigs. And and for me, that felt like a Band-Aid. That wasn't fixing anything. It was just, again, numbing so that I could continue. And it's just, I, especially as I've been able to work and do more work and realize that my, I feel my career is just at the beginning. I know that if I don't look after myself now, I can kiss goodbye any any hope of continuing what I what I'm doing. So it just has become the most important thing for me, regardless of potentially letting people down. It just doesn't matter. You have to put your body first. I'm going to jump in now and say that I have to commend you on that because I have met very few dancers that have that, again, like I said earlier, self-advocacy. You're you're a brilliant advocate for your health and dancers need to be. And we're not talking about a little bit of muscle pain. We're not talking about something that can have a bit of strapping on it. We're not talking about something you're just feeling tired Obviously, you have to honour your jobs, you have to honour your contracts. But again, if there's a line, there's a line where it it stops becoming something that you can manage and you can work through Mm. and it becomes something that is harming your body physically, harming your mind mentally, because we have to talk about that as well. Sometimes our mindset fails on us and we need help there too. And it is really like a taboo when a dancer says, okay, look, I need to cure myself. I need to rest. I need to help myself. I need to investigate what's going on here. Yeah. And it's 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 hard. It's really hard. I mean, I I'm obviously a lot older than you and I come from a generation of dancers and my I mean, we've had this conversation and my mentors and my dance teachers and my choreographers, huge old school mentality. You can dance with a broken leg, like stop complaining, just strap it up and off you go. And I've literally, I mean, I opened up to you about particular um, people, which obviously I'm not going to name here because they were doing what they were taught and they were doing what they knew. So, and this is where this is where we need to speak up and have the conversation and challenge this discourse. We need it to change. Dancers need to feel, by all means, I'm not, I don't suddenly want all these dancers to start making up excuses. You have to be honest and authentic in in your positioning. But if you're an injured dancer, if you've got things going on, then you need to go and take care of yourself. As Erica said, you, you your body is your instrument you want to have a long career, you have to take care of yourself. You have to practice self-care and self-care is advocating for your wellness. It's it's being the voice that's that stands up respectfully and professionally and honestly and says, I can't do this anymore. I need to sort this out. And, and allowing, giving yourself the permission and allowing yourself that time that it takes, because as you said as well, it's a lot of GPs and a lot of physios, unless they've worked with dancers, can send you on a bit of a 
um, I guess a, a treasure hunt. It's yeah, a bit of a goose chase. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, can be quite difficult to get a diagnosis actually fits you and a treatment and a management that actually fits you too. So yeah. often it's a time issue, and and that can be really scary for a dancer to think, yeah. oh, I'm going to have to sit out turn jobs down am I going to upset the wrong people yeah and then of course that you're in limbo land this is what we talk about again this is one of the components I talk about my dancers circle program how to navigate through those limbo land times so we're talking about injury time we're talking about downtime between contracts pandemic waiting for the next job (laughs) pandemics exactly now for example the whole the whole industry is in a coma and we're not even sure when it's all going to come back. Although I did hear that the Mulan is perhaps coming back at the end of September. So it's promising for the rest of the world. And yeah, it's a really limbo land time is really hard. So it's dancers don't want to go into limbo land. We want to avoid that as much as we can. I say this as well, coming from obviously my knowledge as a, as a health coach for dancers and a dancer specialist, but also from my own experience, my career was riddled with injuries and I was not that dancer that said, okay, I'm going to take time out. I'm going to sort this out. I was that dancer that gaffer taped up my leg and off I went. I was that dancer that had a car accident, took off my neck brace and decided to go and do an audition anyway and then threw up in the car for four hours afterwards because I had shock. Um, I was the dancer that during a can-can jump split, out came my left leg, smashed it completely, got a cast put on my leg, full-legged cast, and within three days I'd cut it off because I just didn't think that it needed to be there and proceeded to try and try and rehab myself on an exercise bike. Needless to say, I ended up being flown home on crutches and I had an eight-month rehab period to follow where I could could not walk on my leg. So potentially avoidable, potentially a six week sit out to avoid the eight months. This is the thing you've got to weigh up the consequence. Exactly. Get real. And I was not weighing (laughs) up anything. I, I can't, I was not real. I I mean, I was not present. I was none of those things. I was filled with fear. I didn't want to lose my job. I was afraid. I'd landed this beautiful contract. I had the lead role. I had the part of deux. The shows were epic. They were new. I was excited. I loved my cast. I I felt like I was exactly where I needed to be. And then the universe had other plans for me. So again, huge learning curve. I mean, I won't go into this now, but at the time, I all I felt like was, why me? Why me? And this is the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Obviously, now, several years, many years later, I can look back and I can see some huge lessons that came out of that. Not only I got saved for, from some situations that weren't ideal for me. So, again, the universe is always conspiring always. to help us. And we, we've got to have faith and we've got to trust that. And we've got to go with that. So, yeah, injuries. If you're injured, you need to, to speak up. You need to take care of your body take the time out and yeah self-care this is something we talk about in the dancer circle and like I said that limbo land I know no dancer ever wants to be in it but there are ways there are tools there are things that you can do during that time they're going to keep you headstrong they're going to keep your body strong you're going to nourish yourself in the right ways Um, there are other ways to grow yourself as an artist that don't exactly involve jump splitting or high kicking in those moments where you can't so so well done you I have to commend you again that that took guts and for for a young dancer that's such a good thing it's a it's a beautiful story of advocacy and strength and courage and trust and and you showed up and you did that so that's going to serve you well you've you've manifested planted a really good base there to manifest some good stuff out of that so well done 
And I'm just, we're going to wrap it up really quickly, but before we do, because we're going to go into a really fun section of I'm going to throw you some this or that flash questions and some finish this sentences, which is a really fun way that I like to finish finish my chats with my friends in the dancer's circle. We didn't get through some things, so we're going to have to do a second episode, my oh, love. Oh, be- <laughs> Definitely, definitely. I but before... Day. I know you could and that's why I love you and we're definitely going to talk again because there's some really juicy, gorgeous, especially on the, the line of the Showgirl Chronicles area that I want to go in with you that we're going to have so much fun and we can start oozing and hipping into that one. Before we do, when you, you've done your soul work and, you know, you're obviously still doing your soul work, it's an ongoing journey. Mm. When you came back from overseas and you'd had that wingspan moment and that butterfly moment, did you find a little bit of change going on in your circle? when you got home yes absolutely I was removed from the circle that I was in prior basically I then Mm. embraced that I'd taken showbiz on full-time and I wanted to stay in showbiz because I'm a strong believer of that saying that is you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with so as part of my soul work and, and understanding the law of attraction I wanted to put out my most authentic self to then attract people that aligned with me and it was unbelievable coming back to Sydney and understanding that I, I did have people in my life prior that I wasn't necessarily connected to that were on that level, you know, vibrating at that frequency that I could then reconnect with and, and share my growth with and they could they could kind of revel in, in how far I'd come and, and help me to feel proud for all that work that I'd done and was continuing to do. It definitely it was the end of my relationship. So that whole life was gone. And that was a huge adjustment because I remembered Sydney as that. So I had to recreate Sydney how I wanted to. And that it was a two-year process. I think over the second year and into my first contract in Switzerland, I still felt I was very much in that cocoon dealing with a lot of self-growth and evolution and healing because a lot of other things had happened around the same time. I yeah, split mm-hmm. with my partner and I lost my grandfather who was another and only super big male influence in my life yeah. that yeah there'd been a whole bunch of kind of things happening all at once it doesn't rain at pause that I was dealing with so I'm very much kind of introverted and focused on what lit me up and set my soul on fire and started to chase all those things and understand what I wanted and all that and um yeah two years in the cocoon then I came back last year and Sydney was the place I was going to recreate my version of Sydney so that became as much as I could, very much like my European life where I spend my mornings doing what I like to do, drinking coffee at the beach, Yay, <laughs> even <coffee>. throughout winter, <laughs> all, all the coffee, and um, and doing a all show at best. night, you know, and not killing myself to make a buck because people will very much, I'm sure, relate where you, you're making all this money but you're spending all this money. You don't know where it goes. So I just had no intention of redoing that. Sydney's tough like that and I think Europe, I, I'm obviously calling you from Italy right now. I'm a mm-hmm. massive lover, a massive lover of, of Italy and Europe. I spend mm-hmm. most of my time here in Italy and then shoot back to Australia when I can. But it's definitely a different pace here and some yeah. different values here that you either love or you don't. And it, uh, look, I land in Sydney and I adore Sydney and I adore my, and my home as well home but I immediately feel that pace come on and I immediately feel that hecticness and and I just don't feel it here I kind of land in Italy and it's like well okay la dolce vita everything's slower it's like you can have your call you can have I mean there's nowhere in the world that you can have your espresso for 45 minutes I mean it's just just, that's a paradox in itself but that just is an example of the difference here so and I'm glad I'm glad you could do that for yourself when you came back to Sydney and again it's just you create what you want to see don't 
don't you? Yes. You really do. Yeah. To finish it off, I have a beautiful question and then we're going to get into our speed questions, but this is one you might like. <laughs> so I want you to imagine your future self. So you're 40 something, 50 something, wherever you want to go to, you're no longer a full-time dancer, which is a crime in itself, but you're no longer a full-time <laughs> dancer. And your, your future self is sitting there in a room feeling a bit deflated and feeling like something's missing and just not that beautiful, radiant self that you're feeling right now. And you as who you are now and things that you know now, so connected to your joy connection and, and inspired and lit up, go to her and sit by her side and tell her something that you know is going to help her, that she's going to need to hear that perhaps she's forgotten. That none of that would have happened if you didn't go for it just reminding myself of my passion and my tenacity and my determinedness if that's how you say the word Mm -hmm. reminding that woman Mm -hmm. how proud she should be of the work that she did to get there and to make it happen because I'm definitely not the kind of person where things fall into my lap and I don't think anyone is I think there is definitely a lot of unspoken hard work that goes in but there are some people that you know know the right people or have the right look or whatever and for whatever reason things come to them I have always been the kind of person that will find the off the beaten track route to get to where I want to be and do the hard yards to to make it work and I would I mean I'm doing it now I'll be honest I feel like that 40 year old version of myself right now sitting here in quarantine not dancing so Mm. These are the things that I, I mean, I'm sitting with my first ever vision board behind my head, looking at my current vision boards, just knowing that I make that happen for myself. And hopefully, you know, 20 years down the track, there is a lot more evidence of all the things that I decided I wanted and I went for and I made come to fruition. So you're reminding yourself basically that you've lived that life, you've gone for it, you've gone all in and it's time to be proud of that and remember that. Yeah, you've got to celebrate the small wins. It's not about the destination, it's all about the journey, you know, it's not a means to an end. Beautiful. It's all the things that have happened on the way. You know what I would tell her as well? I would tell her to keep, I would tell her to get up and dance. Oh, absolutely. Because that's where she'll find it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lila, we're going into flash questions. So this is a this or that style question. So just say what comes to you. Apart from the first one that has three options. Don't ask me why. I just like to keep things mixed up. All right. So here we go. Are you ready? Vegas, Paris or Broadway? Paris. Showgirl or lyrical? Showgirl. (laughs) (laughs) Commercial or cabaret? Cabaret. Land or sea contract? Land. Russian red or nude? Russian red. Headdress or backpack? Headdress. Sequins or diamantes? Diamantes. Full out or marking? Full out. Lido or crazy horse? Crazy horse. (laughs) Hey. J-Lo or Janet? Oh, that's impossible. I hate you for that one. Um, I know. I can't either. Oh, no. You have to go with one. Janet. Janet, yeah. Serious, sultry headshot or friendly girl next door smiling headshot? I can't do serious. Definitely friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Useless at keeping a straight face. A can-can or not to can-can? Oh, we can-can, even if it hurts. We're can-canning. Are you stage superstitious or no, it's all fluff? Ooh, I'm superstitious full stop. Actually, I'm not because Mm -hmm. I kind of just trust that things will happen as they're meant to. So, nah, it's all fluff. It's all fluff. Okay. Are you the first one ready backstage or the last one running backstage? Usually the last one. 
Yeah, I'm hearing you on that one, my love. <laughs> double layer lashes or single layer, single layer lashes? Oh, I've definitely double layered, but I also get on Amazon and get some really feathery ones that kind of look like double lashed. I got that from my Bulgarian best friend who owns elephants. See, they could talk about her for days too. Yeah. Get on that's that's definitely definitely another podcast to be had. OCD preparation costume setting or calm preparation costume setting? Uh, unless it's the first show, pretty calm. Pretty calm. Awesome. All right, we're going here. Fill in the blanks. The job you did get and adored. Circus Canelli. Mm-hmm. The job you didn't get or haven't gotten yet and should have or will have one day. Crazy Horse Paris. <laughs> yes, put it out there, girl. The musical that best fits you. Oh, it's technically not. I mean, it was a movie first, but Dirty Dancing. Ah, oh, yes. I love it. I love it. I carried a watermelon. The show song that explains you. Oh, um, Define Gravity. Is that a cliche? Sure. Yeah, go for it. The show line that best describes you. That's your line. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to Dirty Dancing with Nobody Puts Baby in a Corner. Because yes. originally I would have loved to be in the corner. I had zero confidence, but now I like to own the stage. Love it. I love it. Nobody Unapologetically. Nobody puts Erica in a corner. All right. No. Nah. No. Nah. Uh, and we're going to go a little bit deeper to finish off because that's the way we do it in Dancer's Circle. Complete these sentences. Dance is. Absolutely everything for me. It has created the life of my dreams. When I dance, I feel. At home. Beautiful. Dance has taught me. That I can be unapologetically me and express whoever, however I feel at the moment at that time. If I could challenge a norm in the industry, it would be. Ooh, challenge a norm. What you know, it's who you know. Maybe start, you know, really embracing people's talent, which mm. wouldn't work very well for me because I definitely got in more, I think, on my networking. But, yeah, there's a lot of talented dancers that don't necessarily network themselves very well and I think miss out on, on the chance to, to give it a crack. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen some gorgeous, talented dancers that haven't gotten that break and it's, yeah, it's... um. Definitely something we need to challenge, I think. Mm-hmm. The last thing, or well, second last thing, one word that describes yourself in dance. Passionate. Passionate. Love it. That's it, my love. I think that's, yeah, we, yeah. we've kind of wrapped it up. Oh, your favourite mantra. Those who need nothing receive everything. Oh. got to be grateful for what you've got and you'll attract more. Beautiful. I love it. I absolutely love it. This is why we're friends. Um, <laughs> my, and coffee. And, and, co- and Italy. Just coffee is <laughs> a mantra all in its own. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you so much for talking with, with, with us today. I can't thank you enough for having I me. I know. It's just beautiful. And, and I, love, I love, again, being the observer of your journey. I love connecting with you. I'm one of your fans. I want and wish great things for you. And I have absolutely no doubt that you will create them and achieve them. And, yeah, get yourself to Italy one day when you can, when all this pandemic is over, or perhaps I will come yeah. and see you in some gorgeous theatre one day perhaps I'll be watching you in the crazy horse you never know but we will we will definitely chat again soon thank you so much for being here today and being vulnerable with us being raw being real and yeah really showing up for the dancer's circle all my love and appreciation my dear friend sending it all back thank you so much Nat ciao ciao